Hello and welcome to Future Says. I'm your host, Sean Lang, and I've spent my entire career implementing complex data analytics software for leading banks, automotive institutions, and engineering firms. Brought to you by Altair, a global leader in computational science and intelligence, Future Says explores how simulation, data, AI, and high-performance computing are transforming the world around us. In each episode, I talk with some of the industry's leading experts to hear how they're using data to spark the world's next generation innovations and shape the future of industries around the globe. With that, let's dive in. I'm delighted to welcome George von Zedwitt Liebenstein onto Future Says. George is the Information and Analytics Lead at Scania Financial Services. Previously, he was a senior data scientist at Scania's Connected Services and Solutions Department, and he's worked extensively with analytics and BI projects, both from the research as well as the business perspective. I spoke to George quite a bit in advance, and I know he's a very passionate advocate for changing mindsets when it comes to data. I'm thrilled to have him on the show. Thanks for joining, George. Thanks, Sean. It's very nice to be here, and thanks for a very warm welcome. Tell us, how are you keeping, George? What have you been up to recently? I'm doing well. There's uh, an intense year and a half now. Uh, Ever since uh, the COVID hit us, uh, it's been a lot of work for my parts, both in terms of my my old position within the Connected Services Department, building data data solution based on data from connected vehicles to serve uh, decision-making at Scania and understanding the, uh, the COVID situation from a vehicle and customer perspective, and then all the way into my new role here, uh, transforming our financial services department in terms of, of data and the use of data for different applications. I'm really interested in that sort of merge of data use cases between the financial services arm, between the sort of connected vehicles arm. Mm-hmm. But I did want to, you know, the first question I wanted to ask, people think about Scania, they think about these amazing vehicles. Everybody is talking about the future of mobility, autonomous vehicles, connected vehicles. What are Scania's ambitions within this space? Yeah, so I would say that our ambitions are, are quite large and our purpose at Scania is to drive the shift towards a sustainable transport system. And that's really what everything is about. And that's what is what's driving these implementation of new technologies like them, what you just said, right? Connected, autonomous. And in order for us to really establish and, and be the leader in terms of this sustainable transport solutions, then we need to go to a more optimized transport system. And then electrified is, of course, an important part of that. Amazing. And, and what are the current achievements, I guess, within this uh, connectedness? Yeah, so in terms of connected vehicles, Scania has been working with this for quite some years, actually. So this is nothing new. Uh, and it started as many things, many of these technological things do, right? And the in the early days with simple business use cases in order to send information from the headquarters or the customer's headquarters into the vehicles, into the drivers. That's where, where it all started. But during that journey, we have become more and more advanced in terms of sending data from our vehicles back to Scania and then building digital services upon that to support our customers, the transport companies, in actually optimizing their business. Because that's what it's all about, right? If we can make our customers really successful and profitable, then also Scania becomes profitable in doing that, of course. So in terms of connectivity, we offer a number of different services that benefits from this and uses all the data that comes from connected vehicles and give that back basically to our customers in terms of information and insights. 
So our customers could, for example, follow up where their vehicles are in the world, where they're driving. Um, they can get support in terms of uh, working with their drivers to help them uh, and support them in becoming more fuel efficient in their driving styles. They get support by booking services and planning that. So everything is optimized around how we can make our customers more successful in their business and actually digitalizing our customers or supporting them in their digitalization journey. But then, of course, you have the perspective of using this data also internally at Scania. So there's two perspectives, both using data in terms of product development and making our customers more digitally mature, but also using this data internally at Scania in order for us to become better and analyzing our business, but also developing new types of services to offer our customers. It's amazing stuff. And I guess with all of this from Scania and its customers, what does the next step of this look like? Do we think there will always be a human in the loop, George, with these sort of autonomous vehicles? Or could this all be completely and utterly driven by a machine? And, and, and where do humans play in all of this? Yeah, so I think there, you know, humans won't go away. I think that's an important thing, right? But then what role will we play as, as humans in this transport system? That's another story. But I think it's important to see, like, what are the main use cases for autonomous driving? And how do humans, what role do humans play in that use case, basically? And I think the first, if talking in general in the terms of heavy vehicles and industrial vehicles, I think where we will see autonomous vehicles and already seeing autonomous vehicles are in the defined areas, right? Like ports or, or mines, right? You have yellow machines already driving autonomous in, in both open pit and closed, uh, closed mines, right? So it's already happening there. And of course, Scania is in that business also and, and looking into that. Uh, so that's one part, right? But then the next use case is, of course, related to other types of applications for transporting goods and people. And then you have to have transportation, for example, which is, could be one use case. Or then you have other more city-close applications in terms of transports. And in, in terms of autonomous driving, I think, looking at how autonomous driving is developing, and look at the car, the, the car business, right? There are a few different applications, but what is coming first? Okay, these autopilot for functions for highway driving. So if you would imagine extrapolating that into the truck business, I think you could imagine a little bit where, where things are going, right? But then you also have these more robo-taxi applications, right? Which are insanely complex, of course. And these really, really big tech companies have been working on that problem for decades, right? But it's not really here yet. So it's difficult, of course. But I think that we will see in the coming years, of course, I think the defined areas, you know, mines, ports, I think that's where we will see this, see this first. But then it will move on according to that direction that's already happening at the moment. And so, George, is there any things that you've learned within the connected services arm that you've brought towards Scania Financial Services now? Of course, I, I learn stuff all the time. Um, but from the specifics of the connected services department, I think from there I, ha I have I have a mindset with me, right? Uh, within the connected services department, we have come quite far in terms of how we organize and how we develop not only data solutions but but software and digital services as a whole. And that's something that I'll bring definitely bring with me in terms of how I think and how I how I think we should organize and how we should manage development and products within financial services also, uh, definitely. And I think that's a mindset that's really affecting the entire industry, right? We are become, everyone is becoming more agile, doing business development in a more 
maybe uh, a more lean, agile way, right? Testing our hypotheses, not just deciding what's probably is a good idea and then building that for two years and and hoping that that will work, right? We're we're all moving to that more agile, hypothesis-driven ways of working, both in terms of business development, but also in terms of software and data. So that's definitely something that I that has you know colored me a lot and, and affected me in terms of how I work and how I think. So that's definitely something I'll I'll bring with me in terms of uh, my new role at financial services. Yeah, and and one thing I find some people get very bogged down within industry specific challenges, and they say, "Oh, what happens in retail? That makes no difference to me in in a bank, or that makes no difference to me in a manufacturing company." Mm-hmm. Was I'm of the opinion that to some extent, data is just data is just data, and there's a lot of common data challenges. Mm-hmm. So, do you agree? Do you have similar challenges with financial services as you did in connected services? Yeah, I guess so. In mean, one way, very domain specific in terms of what questions the insights or data should answer, right? But on the other hand, we have ways of working and, and thinking around how we should develop data solutions or how we should create insights from data that can be used on different areas. I, I agree with you there that we shouldn't think too slim that uh, we are a connected services department or we are working with banking or we are working with this. So we need to have our very, very specific ways of working that we always had within this area. I think that it's really, really good to keep that open mind and bring the experiences from other areas as well and other industries even. I think that's really important. Okay, let's look at what's happening within retail or what's happening at, at other tech companies and take the learnings from those industries and put them and see how, how can they be applied within, within our industry and within our company. And so tell us then a bit more about um, your ambitions within the financial services arm. What does, what does the data roadmap look like? What stage of maturity are you at today? Yeah, so I think that the most, most important task that we have in terms of data is really to establish a very, very solid foundation in terms of data infrastructure, but also for enabling data sharing. I think that's utterly important. And that's one of the most important things that we are working on right now, to ensure that we can share data effortlessly uh, and not only between head office functions, but also globally. Scania is a really, really big company. And it's not only, you know, it's a common misconception, right? That that Scania is one company. But it's not really. It's it's a group based on a, maybe 500 companies in different, way different uh, markets and countries all over the world, and that you know comes with its specific set of challenges and opportunities, of course, but also challenges because we sit in different parts of the world. We have different cultures. We work differently. We maybe steer our business in different ways on different matrices. So of course, it's a very diverse organization. We could say. But then it becomes very, very important then to set a very solid foundation in terms of how we can consume data, but also how we work with data and establish these data, both, both the data-driven ways of working in terms of how our business colleagues work. I think that's really, really important. But then also how we work by to develop data, uh, data products, or but also insights and analytics as a whole, basically. So it's really tightly connected, uh, the ways of working and the prerequisites in terms of having this solid data infrastructure to work with. And not only technology then, but both the technology and process and competence, of course, to share data effortlessly within the company and especially at financial services, of course. 
I think in terms of foundation, I think, you know, in a way you're speaking about sort of the quality of the information, ensuring that everybody works on a good basis from day one. Hmm. And I think oftentimes that's overlooked, yeah. especially in the media when we speak about AI and machine learning, all the amazing things it can do. Realistically, it can't do any of them without, yeah. as you say, a sort of a, a good data foundation. As you said, it's as much about technology as it is about processes. So how do you shift that mindset to uh, say, let's really focus now on, on this strong foundation? What are the steps in that process? Yeah, so there are a couple of steps, but at Financial Services at the moment now, we are driving quite a big transformation journey, not only from the data perspective, but, but from an entire, both the technology and a ways of working perspective, right? So we are harmonizing ways of working and the technology landscape throughout our different business units in different parts of the world. And within this transformation, within this transformation journey, then we are also taking this data perspective because a lot of the different operational processes, they depend on data, right? Not only for following the business up, but actually doing the business, sharing leads within different departments, for example, and also sharing leads, for example, within different companies. Because as I said, Scania is a group with a lot of different companies. So you have a finance company in one country, for example, and then you have a, a distributor or a business unit from the vehicle sales perspective also. Okay, they need to share data as well. So it's not only within one company, it's within several companies, and then also with the, the headquarter functions centrally at Scania also to get this really efficient system working together. I think that we have a, a great culture at Scania being able to run this massive business globally. And it's, it's really based on autonomy and distributed leadership. And then we need to have then the data foundation and the right prerequisites in order to take that organization into the data way of working also. And so with all of this information being shared between different business units, different companies, different silos, I'm sure there's no shortage of information. But what qualifies then as good information? That when you receive it, it's, do you have KPIs or metrics around what constitutes good information? Yeah, this looks quite different depending on which part of the organization you're actually looking at. And at the moment, the data landscape is very distributed and, and many times quite local, right? So at a specific company, they have their data landscape, right? And in another company, they have their data landscape. But I think the important part is, is to understand, okay, what makes good data? Of course, we should measure it and understand if we have good data or not, but then also look, take a step back and understand, okay, what makes good data? What can we do in order to achieve high quality information that we can take business critical decisions on? And do you have that sort of data quality dashboards or logs or anything like that? I wouldn't say that we have a central data quality dashboard that covers everything for every company all over the world. No, definitely not. I know that certain business units, they are more mature in terms of this, of course, and, and some are less. So it, it differs a lot, definitely, both within different business units, but also in different countries. But I think there are a few principles or a few perspectives that really drives this journey towards high quality data. And I think the first and foremost is to create this very, very clear ownership of data and information. That's really something that we're really, we're really working on right now. And if you look at, looked at how the typical enterprise data landscape looked for just a few years ago and what's 
And I think many companies have today also. You know, we, we establish data lakes, we put down a lot of information, and then we try, we, we understand that ownership is important, right? But who wants to take ownership in something that a central team put in a data lake that you don't really understand and there's not enough transparency? That's really, really, really difficult. So we have really adhered to this data product way of thinking, right? So in order for someone to take this responsibility, this ownership of data, they must have like the end-to-end responsibility and ownership as well. You can't just outsource that to another part. You can't just dump your source system in, in a central team's data lake and think you're finished. That's not how an efficient data landscape looks, right? And I think that many, many organizations and companies have experienced this golden thought of this enterprise-wide data lake where all the company's data is available. But then a few years down the line, realize that we have some friction here. This isn't really working as good as we thought it would for many reasons, of course. But I think this ownership perspective is one of the most important ones. Who does that responsibility fall to, them, that ownership? Exactly. And that, that's why we need to shift towards this data product way of thinking, right? Where you don't, don't just you know, dump your data somewhere. You make your data available, right? It's not someone else's responsibility. It's, it's yours. So we need to have data teams around the company that, that creates data products that makes them available to the rest of the company. And maybe at some places there will be dedicated data teams because the data part of their organization is so important. In another place of the, or, of the organization, it might be software development teams that, that are working with this data, but they also need to make it available in ter- as a data product to the rest of the organization. And then we need to have tools and other prerequisites in order to do this in a good way, of course. We need to find all of those data products in one place. We need to understand who owns it. Who should I contact if I have questions? Is this sensitive data? Can I even use it for the use case that I'm looking into? And we need to understand this early because if we're creating a new data use case, right? If we very early on in the process understand that this is personal data we're after, maybe we can't use it in the way we, we thought we could in the beginning. Then we can steer that that use case in another direction that might be more successful. So I think it's that we need to get to that level of transparency together with that ownership. Then we are that we have come a quite a good way, actually. And that is a great point in terms of the transparency of the information, the lineage of, of the information, where exactly did it come from? Have you seen any horror stories, George, where people don't have this transparency of the information and there isn't any updated information? They're working on poor quality data. I think these horror stories exist in in every organization, right? No one can be perfect ever, right? So of course these there are examples within within Scania probably where where this isn't working as as it should or it could be better than it is basically. But I think this is a journey and we, we need to accept that we are in a position where we are, right? And then we need to put out a, a really high flying goal where we want to be in the next couple of years. And then we need, need to do some hard work. But then the, the important thing also is to really connect this tightly with, with our business strategy, with our executive leadership, right? So we can do this really together. It, we can't only do this bottom up. We need to do it from both top down and bottom up to really reach this, this vision that we have. On the top down then, so on the management buy-in. So I think... Mm. You know, you said processes and tech is important, mm. just as important, I'm sure, as management buy-in. 
there's no shortage of investment today in AI and ML. Is there enough investment on data foundation and, and the quality of data? I think that's a really good question. And I would say that that's the million dollar question, actually. <laughs> because as we say, there, there is some kind of hierarchy here, right? If you're going to do AI and machine learning, well, you need to have that foundation of really good data that it's available for you to use, but also that you can understand what you, what you can use it for. And we as humans are really, it's really easy to, to get stuck to that, that very, very small top of the pyramid use case. Advanced machine learning or AI use cases that sound amazing, they're really complex, they solve amazing problems. But in order for us to get there, we need this solid data foundation. And I think that's, uh, that view isn't really aligned by everyone in the company, of course. Otherwise, it, w- it would be done already, I guess. It's definitely a gap there between understanding where to begin, because it's really easy to, to start with the most exciting use cases while not realizing that we need to, we need to invest in and build that solid foundation for us to stand on. Do you have any thoughts or advice on people that are in of the same opinion of you that data foundation is so important, but might be in a worse situation where their senior management don't quite grasp the concept? Do you have any advice on how to convince their senior management that data foundation is the cusp of greatness? <laughs> yeah, I think communication is key here, but also working working with the business strategy and the executive management to un- really understand why is if we can understand that we need insights, we might we need AI, we need machine learning, what are the prerequisites in, in order to do this? It's always easy to talk about these things, but can we really communicate it so they understand or that it's actually that it matters for real, that it gets implications in how we work? But I, I think it's important to then make this really hands-on, right? Take one of these use cases that you have buy-in for, but then look at it from the end-to-end perspective and also from a from an industrialization perspective. Okay, in order to not just make this a proof of concept, we can make everything work with enough work. We can make a, any, any AI case or, or machine learning thing work in a proof of concept uh, stage, I'm sure. We can dig us where we stand and get the data we need, but in order to industrialize that on a large scale and actually get the value continuously from that use case, what is needed then? Right, because if you're going to use it, then you need the the fresh data coming in. And if you have done a ton of manual transformation and work just to get that data to train your model or to run that analysis, then you will quite quickly realize that that won't do it for actually productionalizing this and uh, delivering value continuously. So I think it's important to look look at it from the end-to-end perspective, and also see where does it fit in, where it's going to be used. What implications does that have on the technical solution? How do we need to feed data into this? And then you need to take care of that bottom foundation, right? How do we get data? How do we organize it then in order to use it for this use case? And then start small, basically. We can't transform the entire company at once, but the most powerful thing you can have is actually to do something and then tell others about it. It's so easy just to have good ideas and try to convince others with those good ideas. But if you have already done something, you have learnings, you have a result, you can show people that that's powerful, that's dynamite in terms of change management. (laughs) 
And I guess people sometimes forget what a POC is. It's a proof of concept. The mm. concept is now proven. Now we can do, if you want, a proof of value. But as you say, start small and scale fast. And, and mm. I completely agree. George, when you speak about all these challenges, I'm sure people are sitting there thinking, gosh, I need to address this, this data foundation, you know, ASAP. Do you think that the longer people wait to address this, the tougher it becomes? We've all heard of big data and, and information growing in velocity, variety, mm. uh, volume, etc. Is that causing an issue to yourselves? Do you think it might cause an issue as, as data volumes increase? I think that that could be the case, of course. I think it depends a bit on the on the situation of a specific company. Uh, of course, as time goes, people are work according to their the ways of working that they have already. We might build a lot of legacy that we might we might need to change afterwards. So of course, it's always a benefit to be as early as you can because as if the earlier you start, the less you need to change afterwards. But then if you're if you start small, it's a balance here, of course, to not, you know, start early and do everything because that might be a challenge, of course. But try to be early, work fast, start small, prove the value, and then choose the direction to go, basically, and be comfortable with that that might not be the direction forever. Because I think that could be a problem also if you if you say, OK, now we're doing this, if that's the direction we're going in. And then you feel a relief that good. Now we have now we have fixed this. Now we have come up with the solution to all our problems, and that might be true uh, for now, right? But the important thing is to understand that we are learning all the time, and we need to have have a process that is responsive to change. So when we understand that, okay, most of the things we're doing that's good, but we still need to adapt to our surroundings, and we need to change along the way and design the process for that to be possible. I think it's important to have that mindset in, in everything we do, basically, to understand that we take decisions now from what we understand at the moment. This is the right decision to take. But in a couple of months, in a year or two, we have learned new things by doing this. And then we have new conclusions and then we might need to take new new decisions and, and directions because this is a learning journey. And sometimes we need actually to do things to come to new conclusions and take a new direction. But we didn't have those prerequisites from the beginning. We couldn't take that decision that we could do a year down the road, for example, because we learn stuff by doing things. So I think that's an important insight that I have with me, at least, that we can take the best decision from where we stand right now. And then a couple of months, a year or two down the line, we will take a new decision because we've learned stuff during the way. Constant improvement cycle. It's not finished with one time. George, you'd mentioned sort of the sensitivity of some of the data you're dealing with within financial services. Mm. Can you talk to us more about some of the data sources you guys are dealing with in financial services, even some of the data sources maybe other departments at Scania are dealing with? Give people the, an idea of the art of the possible of what data they can start to mine. Yeah, sure. I think that's it's no mystery, really, what kind of data that, that we are working on at, at Scania as a whole, basically, right? You start in the in the business, right? What what do we do at Scania? Okay, we sell vehicles, we sell services. Some of those services are financial services. We sell, we'll support our customers in, in financing their vehicle purchases, right? We have maintenance services, for example. We have connected services, and of course, we have data about those different business processes and the different entities within them, right? 
So we have, of course, data from connected vehicles that are running, but we also have data describing the vehicles, of course. We built them, we developed them, we know how they look, how they are specified, of course. And the same goes with different services. We know what our customers bought, what type of contracts they have, uh, and the same for financial services, of course. So it's, I think, from a foundational perspective, the different data sources are really, it's the business, basically, and, and the different entities that are involved in that business. Everything from our customers to their vehicles to their the products or services that they are buying and what they are doing with them. And when we speak about sensitivity, I guess within financial services, there's a lot of personal data and the GDPR regulation has been around now for a while. Do you still think that some companies are struggling with this aspect of maintaining data privacy? Probably, I would say. Uh, <laughs> and I think you could struggle in different ways, of course. I think most companies have adapted to being compliant to GDPR by now, I would guess. But then actually adapting your way of working to not be hindered by the regulation. I think that's where the friction might be in, in the companies. And we, we see that in different parts of Scania, of course. Some organizations are very proficient in their ways of working and how to work with privacy-sensitive data. Starting out with the right assessment in the right point of time of a use case uh, life cycle, understanding how we should manage that data, making the right documentation. You can slim this very, very well to not be hindered by GDPR. Or as a financing company, we, we have a lot of different laws and regulations to follow and be compliant with. It's not only privacy, right? So I think it's important to have a way of working that doesn't hinder you or so regulations become blockers. They're just part of your process in doing this. You need to be aware of what regulations that your use case needs to comply with. And the same is for privacy and, and GDPR, of course. Do you think there's an inherent lack of trust now among some consumers around the data that companies own? Yeah, maybe. I think the awareness is a lot bigger now than a few years back. More consumers are aware that personal data is being stored and processed by different companies. And that's a good thing, right? I think the GDPR and all of this awareness has driven many companies to become more transparent, to tell you as a consumer what they do with your data. And that's a good thing, of course, even if it's challenging for that company as such. And the same is for Scania, of course. It, it's a good thing that we that we uh, need to clarify what we do with data and, and state our ambitions. It shouldn't be a hinder for us. It's just proper transparency towards the people that we have personal data about. And for yourself then, George, where do you see the biggest trends within data today? So we spoke at length today about data foundation. What does the future look like for, for your own business unit as well as for sort of other business units around the world? Yeah, in terms of this data foundation, I, I think this data product, data mesh way of working and thinking is really popping up everywhere at the moment. Many, A lot of people talk about data mesh and the implications for their business. So I think that's quite a clear trend that has started to, to bubble a few, maybe for not so long, actually. But it, it's really a, a subject of its own at the moment, I think. Could you go a little deeper into data mesh and then what, what that means? Yes. So data mesh or is really to bring this, you could say the, the microservices way of thinking into data, thinking not only about data from the information perspective, but also from the, the technology and way of working. So in, in software development, the trend has been for 
quite some years now, right? To not build big monoliths of code to deliver your product, right? Companies are moving to the cloud and they split up their products in microservices. And they're doing this to, to make things easier to deploy. Microservices can be deployed independently of each other, right? So we have not as strong dependencies as different parts of a massive code base. And this gives a lot of positive benefits for the company in terms of speed and reliability and such. And this same thinking is now coming to data. So we shouldn't build massive data monoliths, right? Data lakes or company-wide enterprise data warehouses where some central data warehouse team needs months to get some a new column or field into the data warehouse uh, so we could use it in a report. So we need to think similarly to the microservices movement in software development, now, but now for data, right? So how can we make data products that can be deployed independently of each other? With very, very concrete ownership, there is a team actually developing this, operating this, and deploying this, and has the ownership of that entire life cycle, basically. In a very simplified ways is, is the microservices movement, but for data. But then, of course, there's a lot of details in this. But it's, I think it's a counter reaction towards this data, big data warehouses, data lakes, uh, where a central team builds data pipelines to serve different use cases by ingesting data from different parts of the company, where consumers of this data is lacking faith in the data and the process because it's slow, uh, the data that comes out lacks ownership, it's, it's maybe low quality, and the central data team, they are just overwhelmed by all of these not so happy always consumers, right? They just want to do their use cases. And then you have like the, the system owners on the other side of the story that doesn't really care. Okay, you can use the data, right? You just yeah, you're doing the job. So it's all right. And then you have to take the responsibility of it when it ends up in the data lake, right? So I think that this data mesh data product story is, is like the counter reaction to this, the same way as, as microservices is to the maybe old, more old fashioned monolithic approach to software development, where it took several teams and, and weeks of work to deploy the next version of your software. I've heard of titles recently like data custodians data stewards, mm. and you're saying data owners. Uh, is it all about sort of retraining people already internally? Are there external people with these specific skills, would you say? How do you recommend companies go about improving themselves in this area? I think that a lot of these competences might already be present within the company. And in many cases, they might be called something else and might have a, a different responsibility today that they should shift towards becoming more data product owners, for example, that taking the, the product ownership of a specific data product. But in, in some cases, of course, it could be taking someone in from the outside to drive a new, a new domain of data products. So putting data mesh then into, into one box, anything else that you're specifically passionate about in the direction of data at the moment? Yeah, from a Scania point of view, I think this using data from different parts of the organization this is something that's, uh, that I'm, I'm really, really engaged about. We have a lot of data and we have a lot of knowledge in different peoples. We should use that. You know, it's, it's so easy to talk about, you know, we talked about Scan, it's a big organization, multiple companies within different countries. 
And it's so easy to talk about the challenges by being such a big organization. But it's so, so important that we also talk about the opportunities and the, the benefits that we have by being a global player, by being such a big company, because there is a lot of opportunities and a lot of benefits, of course, that's, that comes with this. And I think one important part of this is actually, and to benefit from this, is to make data available from different parts of the organizations. As you said in the beginning there, Sean, okay, it's really interesting if we can combine data from connected vehicles into the financial services business, for example. Yes, it's really interesting, right? That's something that we are working on and really to make that happen and make it happen easily, that we can have common principles and standards, how we can share data, how we can build different data products and make them available and join data from different parts of the organization to really make this happen. But not only for concept stage, but to have this solid foundation and do this, we can industrialize new concepts or use cases quickly. So that's sort of collaboration internally at Scania between different business units and departments. And I agree, I think it's amazing, the cross-pollination, I guess, of, of different use cases. Yes. Is there any collaboration going on outside of the Scania group with different industry players, with different bodies? Is there enough collaboration within data today? It's difficult to say if it's enough. I think that we can always collaborate more. And I think that's also a very important part in Scania's journey towards this sustainable transport system that we talked about, that in order for anyone to be proficient in this, to get there, we can't do everything ourselves, right? Scania has a very proud history of, of being self-proficient and, and developing things in-house. And that's really good. But in order to be fast, we need to do this together with partners. And, and that journey have, of course, begun. So we see more and more that we do more external collaborations than we have done in the, in the past decade, maybe. So that's one part of that. And that also involves sharing data but also monetizing data in a way that we haven't done before, that we see that data itself could be a business. So we have a quite new established team that actually look at uh, data monetization, for example. So that's really interesting. And that's something that will most probably grow in the, in the coming years now, that we see that the data that we have internally can actually bring a lot of value to different players outside of Scania, either as partners or as customers. Amazing. <laughs> a world of opportunity out there, George. But we are getting to the end. So I guess any final thoughts on what you'd like, any advice, I guess, to the audience, to the people listening? Yeah, I have a, a reflection that I've made you know, during the last years. And, and I think that data sharing and working with data, it's difficult, right? Otherwise, this wouldn't be a thing. Why are we talking about data sharing and this data foundations and everything. It's because it's difficult. It's really challenging. In my mind, it's, it's challenging because it's not only involving technology. Technologies can be challenging, but I think in, in many cases, technology is the easy part. I'm an engineer myself, so it's, everyone maybe won't agree with this, but it's, it's a reflection I've, I've made, right? So technology, could, it's often, not always, easy, right? Even it takes, if it takes a lot of work to get there. But data and data sharing, becoming data-driven is not only technology, it's also processes and people. And that, this is why it's, it's difficult and why we need to work with this so much. I certainly think everything's going in the right direction. I, I saw 
an analyst prediction recently that by 2023, so two years' time, 50% of the global 2,000, the 2,000 biggest companies in the world will name a chief trust officer. Mm. A completely new branch of the C-suite now, all about trusting your information, quality of the information, the mm. data foundation, as you say. So things are changing, and it's pretty exciting, George. Yeah, really. And, uh, and just like the final words for me would be like, think about ways of working and the people in there. That's so much more important than the actual technology. Then you, you need the prerequisites, definitely. But what's really challenging, that's the, the ways of working and getting the people really to change their ways. People and processes. Yeah. I love it. George, pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on Future Says. And I wish you the best of luck with this um, amazing year you have ahead of you. Thank you very much, Sean. It was a pleasure to be here. Thanks for tuning in. For more Future Says content and to watch all episodes on demand, visit alter.com forward slash Future Says. We'll see you again next time.